job. You know how much money you have in the bank. Not the car you drive. Not the contents of your wallet. You're not your fucking khakis. You were the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and how's your day been so far? Shit? Yeah? Well, left you on a cliffhanger last week, uh, and I can only assume that you've been completely depressed ever since. So, sorry about that, I guess, in a way. Not really. Did it on purpose. So maybe we should just recap a little bit of what we spoke about last week. Um, Basically, uh, we covered the idea that, first of all, you're sold the dream um, that you live in Western society, so you're in a land of opportunity. You can get a job, work hard, uh, save up some money, buy a castle, and live happily ever after. And we sort of talked about how that's a bit of a fairy tale and covered the more conspiratorial idea that perhaps we're all slaves tricked into working for the man by uh, essentially a monetary scam imposed by the banks and the Federal Reserve System. Now, that's not to say I assume you are from a Western country. Uh, I realize this podcast is available uh, at all corners of the planet um, because I'm a square earther, by the way. So that's why I believe the planet has corners. Um, you know, some of these flat earthers, I don't know what they're talking about. It's obviously a cube and, uh, they're just fuckwits and, uh, I hope they all die. So, you know, screw you flat earthers. Um, yeah, I don't assume that you're from a Western country. This is the experience that I have and, and the reality that I'm, uh, talking about. However, I'd be really interested to know what stories other cultures and other civilizations tell, to keep their citizens uh, in line or um, to influence them in whatever way uh, the civilization requires. I think this happens no matter what in any population. I don't think it's unique to Western civilization. I think we're told a fairly unique story. And uh, yeah, actually that might make an interesting series of podcasts. It's something that I've been thinking about a little bit. Um, What are the stories that each major culture tells their population, maybe even major religions, that kind of thing. One of the things I find quite fascinating about uh, Islam and, and this all you know, terrifying Sharia law that uh, apparently we need to avoid is um, that it bans usury, which, uh, you know, if you take the, the side of Peter Joseph about uh, interest being one of the boogeymen of uh, the current economic scam, then uh, that might not be such a bad thing. So, you know, maybe... They ban interest because they understand how it can be used to control people. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I'd be curious to find out, though. If you're listening to this and you're from a different culture and you've got some ideas about that, I'd love to hear from you. So, you know, send me an email. Uh, It's all on the website. Um, Put a comment in a comment section somewhere. I don't know. 
you know, I just talk into the microphone and post it. I have no idea how you can get in contact, but I have got all the social medias. It, it should be pretty simple. So all those terrifying things we spoke about last week, um, you know, how is it that we can hold all of that in our heads and not feel depressed? Why is it that I don't feel that that's necessarily a negative idea to hold in your head? I don't know. I mean, it's been a while uh, since I was exposed to it. Uh, I bet if it was something that you're new to, you probably have trouble absorbing it. Uh, I know it took me a while. Um, but it did stick in my head for a very long time. Uh, the questions that arise, are you a slave? You know, And then you start thinking about how long do you spend your life uh, doing things that you don't want to do? And if, you, if, if that's a large proportion, which it certainly is for me, especially when I've got a full-time job, um, how do we not characterize it as slavery? And I'll be honest, I think uh, when I first started uh, absorbing this idea, I went through the phases of grief. I think, you know, we've talked about cognitive dissonance and how letting go of an idea is similar to going through the process of someone dying. Um, you know, so denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. So yes, I mean, I do pretty much believe in this worldview, but I've lived with it for a while. And I don't know how deliberate or conscious it is in the minds of those that perpetuate it. Um, but I suspect there's, there's a certain subtlety to how it's implemented and, and, and imposed. I suspect there's no real, like, you know, evil chuckling overlords. Um, it's more just people doing their thing and getting distorted perceptions on how much uh, wealth and, and power they're entitled to um, as they climb up the chain. You know, they say power corrupts, and I guess that's really all that happens. You know, most people who are exposed to power end up getting corrupted. And I can only assume that uh, that would apply to me or to you or to anyone that we know, because why would we be excluded? And to be honest, that's an aspect of human nature that, you know, I guess I'm not particularly fond of. People are generally um, driven by self-interest. Um, that's how nature works. There's no real shame in that. And we live in a society where there's so much virtue signaling and bullshit going on, um, people posting on social media for the effect that it'll have on how people perceive them as opposed to them believing something is true. Maybe it would be a comfort to get back to that more primal situation where we can just admit that we're self-interested and selfishly driven. So it doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy, does it? I mean, it, it, it can just be this organic offspring of the society that we've evolved into. I don't think you need to have any crazy beliefs to understand these mechanisms that put pressure on us. I mean, ask yourself this, do you feel like you've been encouraged to say, start your own business or work for yourself? You know, um, it seems to me that uh, those types of employment, self-employment is completely discouraged, uh, at least in Australia. Um, at school, we didn't even learn about what a business is or, or how you would start one. All they did was tell us about, uh, you know, acquiring skills that we could use to do these prescribed jobs that were useful to society. There was no discussion of doing anything outside of that. And in fact, it took until you know I traveled outside of the country and saw how other societies live that I actually understood this discrepancy. 
Um, you know, like I spent a lot of time in the Philippines. I lived there for like eight years or so. And, you know, it's supposedly a, a poor culture, uh, less sophisticated, underdeveloped, whatever you want to call it. You know, these backhanded labels that we put on, you know, like third world. Oh, they're a third world country. Um, this supposedly third world country to me seemed more sophisticated because you had people starting businesses in their homes, opening up small stores just outside, you know, through a window in, in the front of their house. And I, this to me was a revolution. I mean, there's just no way to do this in Australia. There's company names to register. There's paperwork and red tape and it all costs money. Um, and I had no skills to even know where to start doing anything like that. You certainly can't run a store out of your house. You need a commercial property. Um, you need it all zoned properly. And, and basically the government regulates everything. And tell me, who are they protecting? Are they protecting me from earning money? Uh, well, thank you, government. Thank you very much. I'll happily pay my 40% tax to be saved from my own fortune. But is starting a business uh, the answer anyway? Well, not really if you're an ethical person, because all you're really doing is imposing the thing that you don't want imposed on you on others. No matter how you cut it, being an employer is just exerting financial control over other people, exploiting their productive output. And in a way, it's a kind of abuse uh, of violence because you're using their helplessness against them. You're using their need for money to generate more for yourself. And I suppose, you know, you could you could look at it as uh, the employer takes a risk that they're paying you a salary and you may not make that money back. But at the end of the day, you just get fired if that's the case. So there's no real plausible scenario where employment isn't exploitation. But I don't get depressed. I don't get upset about it because this is not a trap. It's more like an opportunity. The worse things get, the more we're going to be forced to evolve and to start thinking about new ideas and new systems. And there's something just around the corner that really makes it all moot anyway. There's an old Danish proverb that says, it's very difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. But I'm gonna make one right here. And that is that self-driving cars are going to replace human drivers in things like Ubers, taxis, uh, buses, transport trucks. And I think that change is coming in the not too distant future. I think we're gonna start to see it in the next five years. It's not hard to imagine, of course, because the technology is almost there today. So robots have already replaced cashiers here and service people and maybe even the chefs. But it's not just the menial work. I mean, I think it makes sense that the simple jobs, the easy ones to automate, those are the ones that are done first. But robots and machines, computers are getting smarter. They can already beat us at virtually every game like Go or poker or chess or Jeopardy. And I think the key equation that uh, all of this is going to come down to whether or not your job is automated comes down to whether the return on investment is better uh, putting that money into a machine than putting it into the continued use of human labor. And for a lot of jobs, including white collar jobs, that's an equation that's going to favor robots in the long term. So no matter what you believe in, this uh, revolution of technology is coming. We've got robots. We've had them for a while, actually, building cars and so on, but uh, not completely replacing humans yet. And we've got AI. And that technology is much more interesting because it allows computers to replace us in jobs where thinking is required. 
And you might think, oh, AI, it's, you know, all they can do is play chess uh, well or whatever. But there's a technology coming, which is, you know, sort of the holy grail of AI, which is called a generalized AI, which means it can solve any problem that you put in front of it. It can understand the problem, it can evaluate it, and it can solve it without knowing in advance or being trained what the problem is going to be. And this is what humans are. We're a generalized AI. The computers of our brains can be used to solve any problem, can be applied to any situation. The only difference being we don't consider ourselves artificial. So we're not man-made, I guess. But I've always had a problem with that way of thinking because we are a part of nature and everything that we do that's outside, that we see as outside of nature is really just self-glorification because uh, we're only doing the same things that animals do with different tools. And while we uh, manage to build a society that's covered with concrete and every everywhere has a roof and uh, we've decimated all of the nature that was getting in the way of our comfort. Um, it's really what, uh, what a lion would do if they had hands. We're all playing the same game, um, but humans are just doing it uh, probably, well, you could say better, but differently. So robots are going to take your job. And this is a terrifying thought because we have an economy that's based around employment and uh, we have no means of generating income for ourselves or distributing wealth, if you will, uh, without employment. This makes it very difficult to accept the idea that we will be out of jobs, that there will be nothing to do to benefit the old ways of society once the robots are cheap enough, which if you factor in Moore's law or, or whatever, maybe Murphy's law, um, is, is going to happen eventually. It's really just a matter of time um, and probably not that much time. So what are we all going to do? Where does this lead us? Uh, you know, let's say we had a drop in employment of, say, 50%, which, uh, you know, has to happen before 100%, I guess. Um, what would that 50% of people be spending their time doing? How would they generate income? How would they operate within the society that we've built? And the answer is that they won't. They, they can't. There's really nothing they can do. I mean, people bandy around ideas like uh, universal basic income or, you know, which is essentially just putting someone permanently on the dole or on employment benefits if you're not from Australia. I don't know why we call it the dole. It's a stupid name. Or potentially, I guess, reducing the work week. So um, I think back in the 1800s, people had a work week of 70 hours a week. Now we have about... 40, although, you know, that's not, it's not necessarily the case in my job. I don't know about yours, um, but we have a standard uh, work hours of, of 40 hours a week, supposedly. Is that going to continue to decrease? People's leisure time increases. I suppose for a while that's good for the economy because people who have more leisure time then have more time to spend money in the economy. So that keeps the flow going. You know, we have to be consumers. They, we, the, the one thing that can't be sacrificed in our economy is growing consumerism because that is really the engine that drives everything else. Uh, but that would mean that wages need to go up relative to the time that we spend working. And uh, that's certainly not a trend that's happening. So we're going to have more time to spend money, but less money to spend within that time, which means if the products and services that we spend our money on don't find a way to be ridiculously more efficient, then um, that balance will eventually be skewed. 
Now, you could say, well, the robots are going to make everything cheaper. Maybe that's true uh, to a point. But if there's one thing that I really believe in and, and that leads to a lot of my other beliefs, it's that when you see a trend that is consistent and there's no reason to believe that trend will stop, then you have to follow the trend to its logical conclusion. So what is the trend? The trend is uh, robots are going to replace jobs. The amount of hours that people will be required to work on average will go down. The inevitable conclusion of that is that work will go to zero, leisure time will go to 100%, and the robots will do everything. And again, this is a very terrifying thought in you know a capitalist society that requires perpetual growth. But is it really that scary? Do you love your job that much that uh, you want it to go on forever? What if there was a way to restructure society to accommodate the full leisure time of every citizen of the planet? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't it be, I guess, a utopia? And I know that's a dirty word, but utopia should be a desirable thing when you just analyze what the word means. Obviously, speaking or believing in utopia is supposed to be unrealistic. But here we are facing the end of our jobs, the end of working for a living. What are we going to replace it with? And this is the question that plagues me. What are we going to replace this entire system with? Once it's gone, and it will be gone. I can't see any other way through it. You know, we tell ourselves all these stories about how we have to keep running on the treadmill and kicking the can down the road and hang on to our jobs and create employment. And maybe that goes for a while. You know, maybe the governments can keep inventing ways to keep that going. But think about who's telling us these stories. It's the governments themselves telling us this is the only way that we can continue. This is the only way we can structure society, which is a complete fallacy. They're just trying to self-preserve. You see, that's why we've got so many lies in the media and all this confusing, weird stuff, the difficulty in finding truth anywhere. You know, there's always a competing narrative telling us one thing and then telling us the exact opposite is true as well. There's absolutely nothing in it for us as humans to continue this system of employment. So if on instinct you hate your job, you're probably right. Most of our life is spent working. And we've been working for tens of thousands of years doing different jobs. And we do those different jobs so much that they become us. In fact, when someone asks you, hey, Mary, what do you do? She says, well, I do this. So much so that even Jesus' father is known as Joseph the carpenter. We become known by the things we're doing, even though this is a job and we're really only doing it to pay the bills for the most part. That's why we're forced to do this kind of work. So somehow we become known by it, but what happens when it goes away? What happens if humans are obsoleted in the next 50 years for the kinds of jobs that we've always done, where all this new technology that's coming along changes what we would do every day. So first of all, what would we do? Do we sit home and watch TV all day? I hope not. And number two, how do we define ourselves? So the question in the future isn't about the perfect job, good salary and benefits and job security and close to home and everything else. That's actually the wrong question. We're going to give our kids, go to school, learn so that you get the perfect job. There won't be a perfect job. It's the wrong question. And I think Bucky Fuller said it best. We should do away with the absolute specious notion that everybody has to earn a living. 
We keep inventing jobs because of the false idea that everybody has to be employed as some kind of drudgery. You ever feel that way? And the true business of people should be to go back to school and think about whatever it was they were thinking about before somebody came along and told them that they had to earn a living. What if this is the most incredible human opportunity that we've ever seen? That we finally get to ponder, why are we here? I don't mean why are you here listening to me. I mean why are we here? Because we weren't here to make widgets, to go to some whatever job it is. We're much more capable than that. And that brings us to my final point which is this is an opportunity that we have, that we've been granted, if we choose to take it, for the next renaissance. Just as in the first renaissance, it was an amazing awakening of the human spirit, where people looked to the heavens and pondered what it meant. People looked to the heavens and pondered what it would be and how one would travel to the stars and beyond. People opened up their hearts. They opened up their minds. They created art, dance, music, in theater. This is our possibly one chance that we will be free to do exactly the same thing. I, for one, can't wait, and I hope to see you all there. And what is art? Art is story. The best art tells a story. This is what we've been saying all along on this podcast. So this idea that we can elevate story in the value of, of what a human can bring to society is not as crazy as it sounds. Am I right? <laughs> Are you with me? <sighs> you know, people always shit on millennials and talk about their addictions to social media and, and the way they're always on their cell phones and clicking likes and posting selfies and all of that stuff. But what if in the future, the value of people is different? What if it's going to change? What if the millennials are just reacting to that on instinct? What if the signals their environment is giving them are telling them that the things that they were told they should care about in school no longer really apply? Are they just rejecting the old ideas and just waiting for the rest of society to catch up or die out? <laughs> I don't know. But what I do know is that the utopic future uh, described in that TED Talk, and not just by Kevin Sirach, um, who's the speaker there, but um, many others that you can find if you look hard enough. Um, it's a future that I want to be a part of. I want it to happen in my lifetime, even though, you know, we're moving pretty slow <laughs> I'm 42. I don't know about uh, if I'll get to see this happen. But certainly if the minimum that I can do is to try and exact that revolution in people's minds, um, I, I think that'll be a life well spent, you know, and that's what the podcast is about. That's what I'm about. And it's where I hope I can just somehow get these ideas that are in my head that make perfect sense out into the world to affect even one other person uh, to, to think along these lines because, you know, 
this is this is a positive thing. And if you get all bogged down in all of the conspiracy and the Illuminati and the fact that we're slaves and all of the negative stuff that we had in the first part of this podcast, um, you, you just get stuck. There's nowhere to go from there. If you follow all the research through to its logical conclusion, it all leads here. And the thing that stops you from believing it, and I know you don't yet, is at its core a really sad thing. It's that you don't trust your fellow humans. You imagine this world where there's no requirement for work anymore, and you imagine your neighbor sitting there and playing Xbox and doing nothing and smoking marijuana and not contributing to society. And that makes you angry because you know you'd be contributing. It's the other lazy assholes who won't, right? You're thinking that, right? That's what you think. That's what everybody thinks. But if you freed humanity, if you gave them the opportunity to choose their destiny, to truly choose, to not have these chains that we've had for so many years where we don't get to choose how we spend our fucking time, wouldn't that change the way people think? And can't you imagine the revolution that happens in your mind will also happen in theirs? What would you do if you didn't have to work? If you had all of your available time to yourself? I know what I would do. I know exactly what I would do. I would do this podcast. I'd spend more time writing stories, entertaining people, making people laugh, making people reflect on the absurdity of some of the things they believe in and, and, and actually think. You know, I'd, I'd be using entertainment to try to transform the way people think because I don't know. We've got so many unhealthy thoughts. I don't. I don't blame anyone for this. We've we've just got a toxic society, you know, that's that's still in the death throes and trying to maintain control of itself to maintain its power. We need to hijack that control back, and it's it's so easy to do. All we need to do is just start thinking in a new mode, you know, thinking about revolution and how we want the world to look at the end of this transformation, because there will be a transformation. I think, I hope that the information that we've gone through in these two podcast episodes has at least shown us that, that there will be a transformation of society. There has to be. The way that we've been doing things is suddenly becoming outmoded. And yes, we can kick the can down the road for a while, sure, but it's just not going to last forever. And I don't even know why we'd want it to. So let's transform our minds so that this idea that we need to be financially incentivized to do stuff that's useful for society just disappears. Because that's a disgusting, aberrant idea. And anyone who thinks it is an arrogant pig. (laughs) Seriously, they are. The elites that have this mindset that they need to manipulate us into doing things that are good for society is just so fucking patronizing. We're not children. We can think for ourselves and we're going to be okay. Let's start creating the society that we want and then we'll have a vested interest in the outcome.
And once again, George Carlin uh, expressed this perfectly. That's such too short sight. It doesn't do anything. You have to change yourself. And we'll never do that because the dollars now, it's everybody wants a dollar and a toy. Everybody's got a cell phone that'll make pancakes and rub their balls. So they don't, they, nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants to change. Don't change anything. And we're, we're in a nice downward glide. I call it circling the drain. That's what I'm going to call my next book, circling the drain. And the, and the circles get smaller and smaller and faster and faster if you watch a drain, if you watch a sink empty. And we'll be gone. And that's fine. I welcome it. I wish I could live a thousand years to watch it happen from a distance so I could see it all. Does it depress you? No. It lifts me up. It lifts me up because I gave up on this stuff. I gave up on my species and I gave up on my uh, fellow Americans. I gave up on my countrymen because I think they all, I think we squandered a great gifts. I think humans were given great, great gifts. Walking upright, binocular vision, opposable thumb, large brain, making tools. Make tools, large brain, large brain, make better tools. Talk, have to link language. You take this, put in here. We learned language. The brain got bigger, language. We grew. We had great gifts and we gave it up all up for both men, uh, for both money and uh, God. So George Carlin is kind of like uh, your disapproving father who was never quite proud enough of you or possibly not proud at all. And you listen to him do his little rant and he's right. There's a lot of truth in what he says, but doesn't it make you sad? Doesn't it make you want to defy his opinion of the human race? Because I can tell you one thing, he may have given up on the human species, but I haven't. I believe in you, I believe in me, and I believe in everybody that we know and love. And I think you should too. So, all respect to George Carlin, but fuck him. Let's prove him wrong. <laughs>